Hey everyone, welcome to the Mobile User Acquisition Show. In the Mobile User Acquisition Show, we feature interviews with the smartest folks in mobile and growth who share invaluable, actionable, tactical insights on every aspect of mobile growth and marketing, not to mention some adjacent areas just as well. The Mobile User Acquisition Show is presented by me, Shamant Rao, CEO of the mobile growth marketing firm Rocketship HQ and produced by Karishma Sundaram, our superstar content marketing manager at Rocketship HQ. Each episode includes strategies, tips, and pointers from the leading edge of mobile growth marketing that you can use to unlock tremendous growth for your app in a sustainable and capital-efficient manner. In today's episode, we are in conversation with Jerome Turnbull. Jerome is the VP of Growth at AppLovin, where he helps fuel user acquisition and ad monetization for games made by AppLovin's partner studios. Jerome played a key role during the launch of Project Makeover, a game that topped the charts in just four days of launching with over 5 million downloads. Today, we deconstruct how Jerome and his team mapped out the launch strategy for Project Makeover, especially in a time of significant inflection with Apple's privacy policy changes on the horizon, and also during a hyper-competitive Q4. There are so many gems in here, not only about launching, but also about launching and growing an app in an uncertain, challenging time. And I'm excited to present this episode to you. I'm very excited to welcome Jerome Turnbull to the Mobile User Acquisition Show. Jerome, welcome to the show. Thanks, Shamav. Great to be here. Very thrilled to have you, certainly because I've heard so much about your experience. And of course, I could see how deeply and how much in an advanced way you approach all things growth and user acquisition. So I'm just thrilled to have you. And of course, the other reason I'm excited to have you is because certainly we're going to deconstruct game that has been a phenomenon the last year or two. And I'm just very intrigued about many, many aspects of this launch. And we're going to dig into all of that today. To get started, I'm curious for a launch, what are some of the metrics or signals that you and your team look at prior to green lighting a game for worldwide launch? Sure. Retention is always the first indicator. And we want to ask ourselves if we've created an experience that engages users. And how do these metrics or signals differ for different genres, right? So for instance, Something like Project Makeover, which we're going to talk about, is going to be very different from hypercasual. So how do these signals differ for different genres? We want to look at monetization. These games need to generate revenue for us. That could be either through in-app purchases or through ad monetization. So for a hypercasual game that you mentioned, those tend to lean more on ad monetization. For casual games, it's heavier on in-app purchases, but there still can be a mix between the two. And the way that we look at it is what is the break-even target for these titles? So a hyper-casual game will tend to have a break-even of maybe a couple days, maybe up to a week. And the casual game, the more successful ones, have a longer tail. You could be looking at a year's time for a break-even. So we take those factors into account when we're, we're looking at the retention rate and then the monetization. So there's a retention target that the game needs to hit. And there's a monetization as you would look at the uh, app now. What's the monetization metrics you're looking at? 
in many cases, we'll start first with just retention. We won't have any monetization in the game and we're observing how the players are interacting. And then as the title develops, we'll start layering in other forms of monetization and comparing those uh, against what we see. So there are category level benchmarks, for example, a casual game for retention. You're probably in a good spot if you have a D1 retention rate above 40%. A D7 above 20% and a D30 above 10%. Sure. You started speaking about Project Makeover. I understand that you guys launched in November 2020, but it had been live in the app stores sometime prior to this launch. Help us understand what was the purpose and the idea behind this pre launch phase and what happens during that pre launch phase to prepare for what is the official launch. A lot of things are happening during that time. User acquisition started in, in September. So this is about a, a full two-month runway before the global launch. And on the studio side, they're refining the user experience. They're setting their targets for D7, D14, D30 monetization. You'll want to have some cohorts at the time of global launch that have been in the game for some time so that you have a better understanding or more predictability about what the long-term LTV could be. And the studio will continue to improve. They'll continue to add content to the tail. On the marketing side, that's when we're refining the go-to market strategy. So Project Makeover launched in November 2020. This was after Apple announced its privacy changes. How did these changes impact launch plans and post-launch plans? There was no impact for launch. The privacy changes were announced. It wasn't until June 2021 that we really saw an impact on the consent, non-consent, and ATT framework. That was when sure. there was a force update for iOS 14.6. But that sure. being said, you know, we were planning, uh, preparing a lot of changes in terms of with our product team. I would imagine this was still early on and a lot of the ATT buildup happened afterward just as well, right? And given that the launch happened in November, another big factor was the Christmas and holiday season. How did that impact the planning for the game and its launch? Christmas season is a very competitive time uh, in mobile market. You have a lot of new devices coming online with uh, Q3, Q4 period, and then you have a lot of recreational time for users. So that's when we would like to get new games out and get them in front of players. So the launch in November was intentional. I think any other developer would be trying to get things out at that time period. And things continue to get expensive throughout, at least in Western markets, leading up to Thanksgiving in the U.S. and then Christmas. So I think the more momentum that you can build coming into that period helps out. So as user acquisition gets more competitive, costs Mm. get more expensive, would it not be more challenging to market during Christmas? And how did you guys think about the fact that it would actually get challenging? It's challenging because everyone else wants to be marketing during that period because there's so much recreational time available. How do you handle that? You want to have a refined strategy for that period. And that was a lot of the pre-launch phase, the right creative, uh, the right messaging, that the game metrics are in a good state that we, we can buy and, yeah. and, and kind of take yeah. that risk on. What you're saying, I, I see it underscores that the game itself has to be strong so that the higher costs can be supported. Because again, if the game isn't quite in the best place, it might not always make sense to go big during Christmas and Q4. Exactly. And you know, what will differentiate 
a hit from other titles is just how good is the long-term monetization for these games, particularly, you know, a match three game that we're talking about here. I would imagine the cross promos from the other studios is a part of every launch strategy. And if that's the case, how effective was the cross promo from the other games? It's a key part of the strategy for casual games. We see that players will play multiple games at once for maybe more you know, strategy, hardcore games that might be a lower number and they might dedicate their time just to one or two games. But for Project Makeover, sure. there's not as much harm in cross-promoting users to another title uh, within the studio or even within the network. So you know, AppLovin drives over 8 billion app installs through our platform. We're viewing it as a network and how do we give users the option to move between different gaming experiences um, within the network? Sure. And I know you talked about creators and the creative strategy, you alluded to it. Just to get into that in, in a little more detail, I find some of the creators to be both hilarious and over the top, and maybe they're hilarious because they're over the top, but I'm just curious. And I do see a couple that seem to be consistently winning, at least when I look at third party analysis. So a, mm -hmm. tell us about this creative, all right? And tell us what inspired this. Sure. The tagline for the game is to give makeovers to help people achieve their dreams. And so that's kind of fun or could be a comical experience, you know, having a makeover. Yeah. And one approach that we've explored is testing a kind of a, a win or a fail motif. So the win motif yeah. is if you have a successful makeover and the yeah. person can achieve their dream, and then maybe the fail is they're not at that point yet, and there's some comedy that can come in. And so those yeah. get people's attention, make them laugh, drives interest in the game. We try and keep it positive and tasteful. And when we're going through this process of testing, there's two tracks and, and we work very closely with our Spark Labs team. And, and, and I'm very grateful for all the resources that we have for that. It's expensive to come up with a, a brand new idea. So that's one track. We'll run that every once in a while. For the existing things, we can iterate on uh, a concept and maybe test different ways to show a win or a fail. Just showing an emotional peak in terms of a win or a fail sounds like that's what's resonated. And there's certainly a lot of talk about player motivations and how they can impact not just the gameplay itself, but also the ad creative. And I'm curious if you guys tested motifs or motivation other than the win and fail motifs that you talked about? Or did you guys sort of infer that, look, the win and fail states of the makeover, these are the ones that are winning, let's keep doubling down on this. Or were there other motivations, other themes or concepts that you guys felt had legs and you guys tested? Yes, there are a lot of motifs out there. I think another one might be how it started and how it's going. So these are almost kind of meme-like trends or motifs. And you'll see in the mobile space that there's a lot of inspiration taken from other games. Within our own uh, network, we have other design style games that we've been able to test and then carry over learnings and insights. And as, as you've noted, I, there's ad intelligence tools where you can see what else is out there and uh, kind of be inspired by those uh, messages as well. So we tested many of them. I think the win fail is, is one that kind of stands out to me. I know we briefly talked about ATT and Apple's privacy policy changes. And obviously we have been with ATT for a few months now. So post ATT, 
considering all of the measurements just being completely shaken up, how did you approach measurement on iOS? Right? And how do you look at the incremental impact of a channel or different channels after ATT? I was listening to one of the previous podcasts you had about scan and some thought leaders on the space. And I think there are a lot of relevant points if people want to go back and listen to that one. One thing I agree with is the user behavior hasn't changed. It's really just a measurement or a measurement challenge that's new. So there's some historical precedent that you can lean on. What did monetization or what did user behavior look like in the pre-ATT world? I can't imagine that that's changed too much. There's also ways to lean on data sets from the, the small subset of consent users on iOS to make decisions. What I would note is that for, this is not so much for Project Makeover, but for other titles, ad monetization or the ad ARPIs on iOS have taken a hit. I'm also just curious in terms of measurement, considering a lot of it's gone, how do you look at when you introduce a new channel to the mix? Is that even valuable? Are you looking at installs, CPIs? What does the criteria look like for saying this new channel is a success or maybe it's not? So one sure. approach for iOS is to slim down your portfolio. So there are fewer variables and then look at your marketing as a whole. So let's just say you have three channels and you're layering on a fourth. You have a baseline. It sounds like you're saying, look, how much does the fourth one add to what was happening before, right? And I'm curious if there are, what the methodologies look like. Is that using a spreadsheet and saying, this is an organic baseline, this is a lift, maybe in a certain geo, is there something akin to media mix modeling or is there something in between? And how do you think about the mechanics of measuring that lift? So for the example that, that you're describing, you do have to run with fewer channels. You probably have to increase the budgets on new channels in order to see a lift. And it could be either from an organic baseline or, hey, we doubled our spend and we didn't see revenue double. That's usually a bad sign <laughs> that new channels yeah. not working. Yeah. A big part of the launch is obviously the team, yourself included. So I'm curious, what does the team look like? What does the structure look like during the launch? And maybe also in the pre-launch phase, during the launch and afterwards. We've structured our teams around the game category or type. And that's because we see that there are learnings um, that are more scalable and, and relevant there. Other structures have been maybe channel specific. That's how we operated at Machine Zone before we joined AppLovin. And that's because there were fewer titles and we saw that the specialty on a very channel specific focus. But we do it by categories. So we'll have a match category. They have insights from other match games that they've worked on. And our team will manage some part of the UA, whereas the studio will have their own in-house UA team. It's almost necessary at this point, given how competitive the space is. So whether we split that out by region or we split that out by different channels, uh, we work together to grow the overall user base. Yeah, I've certainly, I think this has been incredibly instructive and I know we are coming up on time. So perhaps this is a good place for us to start to wrap. Uh, but before we do that, Jerome, can you tell folks how they can find out more about you and everything you do? Yeah, if, if you'd like to learn more about AppLovin and what we're doing, I think a great place to start is our website. There, you can also learn more about our partner studios and how AppLovin helps those studios grow. 
You can also check out our blog, social channels, and reach out to me on LinkedIn. Wonderful, Jerome. Yeah, uh, and this has been an incredible behind the scenes look at I think what's been one of the biggest hits of the last couple of years. And uh, thank you for taking us behind the scenes. Thank you for sharing all of your insight. This is perhaps a good place for us to wrap. Thank you for being a guest on the Mobile User Acquisition Show. Yeah, thanks for having me and I really enjoy the show and looking forward to uh, future content. Thank you for listening to the Mobile User Acquisition Show. If any of this was helpful or instructive, I would love for you to leave us a review or rating on iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, or wherever you get your podcast fix. This podcast takes a ton of time, effort, and love to produce, and I deeply value every review and every piece of feedback that you share. Thank you for listening, and I will look forward to sharing our next episode soon.